day comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 4. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat down east of the city. He made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade while waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord appointed a bush and made it to cover over Jonah, to give shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy. But when dawn came upon the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the bush, and so it it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than live. But God again said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and so many animals? This is the word of God for the people of God. So as some of you may know or may not know, I once served on the Ojibwe Reservation in Red Lake, Minnesota. I was there with a mission organization where we would host camps for kids and do all kinds of stuff. I met amazing people here. One of them was a kid named Max. Now, I first met Max when he was eight years old. It was my first week, and we were hosting a VBS-style kids camp. So I walk into the gathering area all happy and all... I wasn't tired from the summer yet. Um, And I walk over and I see Max just standing on a table. And I walk over to say, hey, I'm Austin, what's your name? And Max turns to me and he goes, I'm Max and fudge you. Except he didn't say fudge. This began a long and tenuous relationship with me, my fellow staff, and Max. He was a troubled kid. He would get into fights. He would pick on other children. Uh, He would generally cause problems for volunteers and staff, emotional insults, physical abuse. It got to the point where we were seriously considering telling Max that he could not continue coming to our kids' camp, that we had to say goodbye to Max, that Max couldn't continue because there was no changing Max. The prophet Jonah thought similarly. Now, I love the story of Jonah. For one, it's hilarious. It's a satire. That's the point of the story, is that it's meant to be funny. So if you want to laugh at Jonah, please do, because you're supposed to. Second, it's very, very short. It's four chapters. It's very easy to read. 
Um, In my Bible, it only takes up two pages. But lastly, and most importantly, Jonah is one of the most human stories we can find in the Bible. So let's start at the very beginning. Jonah gets his call from God to go and preach to Nineveh. Now, if you're reading your Bible through the books and everything, you've read tons of call stories by the time you get to Jonah. All You get Moses in the bush, you get Isaiah and his fantastical vision, you get David getting anointed to the king and all of this, and all these people stepping up to the plate and doing all of this. So Jonah gets his message and he runs away. He's supposed to go and preach to Nineveh. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were not nice people. They were a tyrannical empire. They were conquering the ancient world. They were leaving nothing in their wake. They were bullies. They were taking people. They were displacing them. They conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and scattered all but two of the twelve tribes of Israel. The people of Nineveh were textbook examples of what a bad person was supposed to be. So naturally, Jonah does not want to go. But he got a call from God. So what does he do? He runs away. He goes to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is in Spain. I did the math. According to the Bible, it's approximately 2,500 miles from Nineveh. For some references, you could drive from Bristol, Tennessee to Memphis five times. You could drive from Nashville to Chicago five times. You could drive from Nashville to Venezuela. You could drive from Maine to Salt Lake City. It is the opposite direction. It is so far. It's not even remotely close to where he's supposed to go. So Jonah runs, and as we know, he boards the ship. And if you're familiar with the Veggie Tales thing, he boards these ships of pirates. Are they pirates? Who knows? But it's a cute story. Um, so he boards the ship, and they're there, and then this storm comes. And Jonah is kind of being a pill, and he's a, under the deck asleep, and he's not helping out, and he's not doing anything. And he finally realizes that, you know, this storm is probably my fault. God's probably sending this storm to me. So he goes up and he tells the sailors and the men that, you know, if you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. And so the men are like, okay, let's go. And they throw him overboard. Um, And this is where Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish or the whale or whatever you've heard growing up where that story goes. And then Jonah is in the belly of the big fish and he prays to God. And it's a long prayer with really complicated Hebrew poetry and there's lots of meaning and everything. It basically says, God, I'll go and do this if you deliver me from this fish. So the fish spits Jonah back up in the land of Assyria. And so Jonah swallows his hesitation and he goes to preach to Nineveh. And this is the big part. He succeeds. The people of Nineveh turn. They repent. They turn and face God. There are 17 books we consider the prophets in the Bible. 
16 of them are named prophets and then the book of Lamentations. Of the 16 named prophets, Jonah is the only one who is successful. The other 16 prophets face all kinds of adversary. Their kings don't listen. The people don't listen. They're driven out. They're hungry. They're laughed at in the things of Hosea. He loves a woman who is unfaithful, and there's all kinds of trouble that he gets into. But Jonah goes up, and he has an easy time. He walks up, and he's like, hey, believe in God. And they're like, okay. That's, it's funny. It's funny. Like, that's what's happened. They're, they repent. It's not what you expect. It's not what you expect to happen. And so you expect Jonah's successful, where so many people have failed, where so many people have lost, and he's successful. And so you expect him to be so happy and elated in everything about it. But this is the kicker of the story. He's not. He's furious. He's angry. He's pouting. He's petulant. Instead of being with the people and celebrating their return, Jonah goes off into the city, into the wilderness, and is like, woe is me. I did a good job. That's where our scripture picks up today. Jonah goes and he complains about this whole, and there's this whole exchange between him and God, which is not very long. It moves very fast when it comes to the Bible. You know, the Bible can be a little wordy. I don't know if you've read a lot of it, but like, it's very... Um, but Jonah goes and he goes, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Is this not why I fled? Because I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. When I read this for the first time, because I'll tell you, we don't read chapter 4 in the children's story. We, we stop when Nineveh returns, and I'm like, look, anyone can turn to God. So when I found this passage, and I read it for the first time, I found it so interesting because I've always been told and I've always had this picture that Jonah flees and he runs from this thing because he's afraid of failure, because he's scared of what the Assyrians want to do, well, might do to him. But that's not what he tells God. He basically tells God that he didn't want to go because he knew God would forgive them. He didn't want to go because he knew God wouldn't punish the Assyrians and he wanted the Assyrians to be punished. He didn't think the Assyrians were worth saving. He's trying to dictate who was worthy of God's salvation. That's a lot for two pages. But it's so important. It's important because Jonah represents us. He represents how often we get ahead of ourselves. How often we try to claim authority that is not ours to decide the fates of people that we have no right to decide for. And before God rebukes Jonah, God humors Jonah. He's just, he's kind of, God is very, very patient with Jonah. Jonah is whining and he's pouting and he's being petulant and God's, and he says, go on and take my life for it's better for me to live or to die than to live. 
which is basically him saying, I would rather die than live in a world where the Assyrians are saved. And God asks a very simple question. Is it right for you to be angry? Then we get this very big scene with Jonah and the shrub or the bush or the tree and then the worm comes in and there, there's all this symmetry or symbolism with the east wind and all the things because the Assyrians come from the east and lots of context there. And then he's angry and pouting and God again says, is it right for you to be angry? And this time Jonah has a response. The first time God asked it, he kind of waved it off and goes, like, I'm going to go sit outside and pout some more. But this time he says, yes, angry enough to die. And it's a funny story, so I like to imagine that God just goes, really? Really? But this is important because this is not just something Jonah is saying. Jonah is quoting the prophet Elijah. Now, I'm sure you might remember the story of Elijah. He, he big story, y'all. Yeah, I'm Elijah. You bring all your prophets. I'm going to call down this pillar of fire. Then I'm going to kill these 400 prophets. Well, guess what? When you kill 400 prophets, the queen doesn't like that. So Elijah has to run away. He has to flee. He has to do this. He's hungry. He's persecuted. He's beaten down. And he says to God that he's angry enough to die. And God provides food for him. So Jonah is basically saying, hey, I was successful and I didn't like it, so my suffering is equal to that of Elijah. God isn't having that. God's response to Jonah is swift and honestly a little confusing, and part of that has to do with an English to translation where it ends with a weird thing and also many animals. That's a weird way to end a sentence, but it's a different language. Um, but it drives home this point. Jonah does not have a right to be angry. He doesn't have a right to be angry because he didn't create the bush. He didn't create the people of Nineveh. He didn't create the world. Therefore, who is he to get to decide their fate? Now, if you're anything like me, you read this story and you hear this story and you go, crap! Seriously. I fall into the same trap all the time. I often find myself thinking, who is worthy of my time? And who isn't? I like to think that I know who God will speak to and who God won't that I can decide who is worthy of redemption. Is that not the lesson I was supposed to learn when I just read that? That everyone, no matter their belief, no matter their past, no matter their wrongdoings, no matter what the world says about them, that everyone is worthy of redemption? Everyone is welcome into the kingdom of God? Is that not the core of what we believe? Is that not the core of our hope? The belief that God's grace can and will extend to all of creation. 
Now, someone might say to me, Austin, that sounds good, and that sounds good from the pulpit, and that sounds good on paper, and you made it sound all smart and intellectual and everything, but some people are just stuck in their ways. They're too far gone. There's no hope. That's the thing with God, though. That's the good news. Through us, God empowers us to do what was thought to be impossible, to move the unmovable and break the unbreakable so that amazing things can happen, so that people can be changed, so that people will turn and repent and our world will be a better place right now. So let's go back to Max. We had lots of discussions. This is about halfway through the summer that all this big discussion was happening. And I'll be telling you, I was tired of talking about Max. I was tired of talking about it. But this is what I didn't tell you. Every time Max got in trouble, it was my job to sit with him and talk with him. It was my job to sit there and say, Max, why are you doing that? No, you can't hit the other kid. Stop that. Um, it was my job to sit there. And I talked with Max. I learned about Max. I learned about his dad and how his dad wasn't a good person. I learned that his mom was working three jobs and didn't have a long time. I learned that he wanted to do good in school, but he didn't know how. He didn't know where to look to ask for help. There was so much about Max that you didn't get when you walk up and you see this kid who is hitting people and screaming and screaming the F word at volunteers. We didn't decide to kick Max out of the kids' club. We didn't do that. Um, I got a strong feeling. I said, no, we're going we're gonna to keep, I'll, I'll do whatever it needs to be done, but we're going to do that. And I got the opportunity, several times I got the opportunity to go back to Red Lake. I went back once as another staff, and then I took a youth group there. And I saw Max both times. I walk in, and I didn't recognize him because he was sitting there quietly and not doing anything. And I was like, this is the same kid? He's a straight ace. He probably graduated, by now he's probably graduated high school in a school district where the graduation rate is under 50%. We never know what God's going to do. We never know who is worthy of what, of redemption. We never know who we can help or who we can change. And it's not for us to decide. It's not for us to say these people are worthy or these people are not. What's for us is to go to Nineveh and preach. That's what we have to do. Before the sermon, before the scripture, we sang the song Believe for It, and I love the bridge of this song where it says, you are the way when there seems to be no way. We trust in you, God, you have the final say. We trust in you, God. You have the final say. We have to trust God, and that's scary because we don't know what God is going to do sometimes. All we know is that God is good and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. All we have to do is show up and go to Nineveh. We have to allow ourselves to be empowered by God to, to accomplish the impossible, 
to do amazing things, to change lives for the better. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are we listening? Are we listening to where God is calling us? Are we listening to the hard things that are going to have to be done for our world? So that we can go from this place and be a testament to all the impossible things that God has and will do. All we have to do is go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
May you go and be a testament to God doing the impossible. May you go with the grace of Jesus Christ in your life and with the power of the Holy Spirit to change our world as earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Syrians are not nice people. They are mean. Like, and mean is an understatement. 